Hello indeed, and welcome to the We All Hate Each Other Off Screen podcast. Uh, as your host, Emma, I'm very sorry for the long uh, hiatus. I know you, our, our de- dedicated fans have been waiting years. Our fourth member uh, is not is not going to be a part of this because they weren't really a good fit for our podcast. So please bear with only the three of us. My two co-hosts, if they would like to introduce themselves. Oh, I'm Natalia. I'm Coda. And uh, we all hate each other off-screen podcast. Okay, so today we will be covering um, 100 Years of Solitude in, um, you know, in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. And before we do start talking about the book, we just want to warn you that there will, we will be mentioning topics about, you know, sexual assault, pedophilia, things along those lines. And if you're not comfortable with that, um, it would be best to sit this podcast out. All right. Next, we should probably do, like, a slight summary of the book, just so that other people know what we're talking about somewhat, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just letting it go, because I feel like I can cut and be, like, within clips, so. Okay. Right. So, I'm just going to say, A Hundred Years of Solitude is written by a, a Hispanic author called uh, Gabriel Garcia Morquez, and he wrote the book um, in 1967, or at least that's when he published the book. Uh, it follows a family line, uh, in a town called Macondo, uh, and we're going to be discussing pretty much everything about all six generations of the family. For the, uh, first question of the season two of our podcast, I thought it'd be, we'd be starting off strong with, uh, what your thoughts on A Hundred Years of Thought Solitude is, now that, that now that you've finished reading the book and everything. But you've read all of the book, word for word, individually, using you know, analyzed it all, each each individual line, um, in the entire book. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy reading the book one bit. I thought it was confusing and tiring and just not good. But I think like the idea and like this like the story itself was pretty good it was just bad to read the book (laughs) yeah I didn't I didn't find the book like very interesting mostly mostly because a lot of the words in there were like filler but when you did get to the important parts like you know things that mattered that's when I actually got invested in the book like 90% of the time I was like zoning out because like I don't know (laughs) all right I actually agree with both of you I think a lot of the book might have been unnecessary for the points he was trying to make um, but for the sake of playing devil's advocate, I think it was the best book I've ever written, and I think you guys have bad tastes. Um, all right, now that we've all got our, our kind of thoughts, which, uh, applied to the book. All right. So, why do we think the book was even written in the first place? Now, I know Coda has a lot to say about this. <laughs> They have a lot of ideas for this, which is why I'm not going to let them talk about it. I think it was written, uh, I remember, like, in the audiobook, which I listened to, there's, like, a whole beginning part where it talks about why he wrote it. 
I don't know if anyone else listened to the same audiobook as me. I thought we all listened to the same one. I don't know. But uh, hmm. the guy said that, uh, or the guy, the narrator of the, the audiobook, guy. the man, <laughs> the um, man. Kind of like how I'm the executioner, and people shouldn't <laughs> mock me lest they lest they face something terrible. Uh, he said that the reason he wrote it was he got inspired after a family trip to Colombia. Okay, well, I think he took inspiration from his childhood, because the author was born in Colombia during the 1920s, and this is when something called the Banana Strike Massacre occurred. Oh, that is pretty topical to the book. Yeah, it's, it does get brought up, like, later on, so. What about, what about you, Natalia? Why? Um, I think, I think, okay, so Marquez had a, he was a journalist before he wrote this book, right? So I think he used this book to, I guess, embody everything that he's, like, been through, everything he's seen in his career. Because, you know, this book is about, what we think is like this book refers to like colonization and stuff so it deeply reflects latin american history so i think marquez he was just focused on you know showing latin american history within one book and like one story in like a fictional town so all right i actually like that yeah and just a uh as a sort of uh segue um we know that uh, it, it, in the book itself, doesn't it describe it as, like, it's supposed to be, like, a sort of um, clown mirror or, like, distorted carnival mirror being put up against his own country? Why do you think that he included um, this sort of writing style and narration or the kind of, like, magical realism which everyone thinks that he is known for? So I... I have like read and watched some videos and I think that he was kind of attempting to combine like the two different perspectives that you kind of see in these situations so like I think he was trying to use magical realism as a way of combining the perspective of the colonizer and the colonized during this whole like historical event. Okay, I like that. Uh, any thoughts for you? Um, well, yeah, I do think, you know, there's a lot of mysticism in Latin American culture. Like, there's a lot of, you know, traditions and, like, um, I forgot what they're called. Uh, something like that. And <laughs> so I think this was also a way of Marquez of um, implementing his... Um, you know, his past and what he grew up believing in. Writings are, like, praised for the magical realism, which is sort of a writing style that's supposed to be monotonous mm -hmm. in uh, sort of describing uh, incredible events, which we do kind of see, like, a very popular one is when she hangs something up and gets blown away. Um, but we also see it in a lot of the themes of the book itself. Yeah. Um, very... Like, full-on genocide occurs, and the narrator reads it very matter-of-factly. I think that that uh, writing choice was interesting, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily effective. Yeah, they do, um... There will be, like, heavy moments in the book, and he just says it with, like, a flat tone. Like, things that will literally 
that bring up trauma for the readers, and he just, like, says it out loud and, like, just smooths over it like it was nothing. Like, I think there should be more emphasis on, you know, it should touch up, you know, it should be a little more empathetic. Is it called empathetical or like and so. with more empathy? Or sympathy, maybe? Sympathy, there you sympathy. go. Yeah. I mean, audio listeners love you to death. The ghost of every character from this book is currently in this in this bunker we're in <laughs> as we speak. Um, and me saying that might be magical realism. But does it does it stir your emotions? Maybe not. Uh Yeah. You know, that's also a thing I think, like if you just have magical realism in the background where like someone freaking Flies away. Like, <laughs> right now? Yeah, literally. Where are you going? Yeah. I'm blown away. How are you flying, bro? Continue. <laughs> um, yeah, if it's just going on in the background, like, why is it there in the first place? Like, some people will literally, like, get carried away by ants, but, like, that has nothing to do with the book. You know? What's going on? Are we... So, are we talking about still, um... His tone, or are we moving on to magical realism? I feel like we got we're, to we're discussing yeah. the writing of the book or the writing decisions, and magical realism is the writing decision. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. Okay. Um. Okay, and then we already discussed the nation as well, where we talked about how monotone it is. Mm. Yeah. And the narration, you know. Because I was also gonna say, remember what I was talking about earlier. Um. Sorry, podcast listeners, we had a discussion before this. <laughs> um, that at least John Green thinks that uh, his use of, like, the matter-of-fact tone is supposed to kind of reflect, like, the normalization of, of um, violence and kind of critique colonial power structures. That's the way he phrased it. So... You know, was his matter-of-fact tone intentional for, like, those reasons? Was he trying to have a sort of commentary, or did that kind of just happen? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I agree with Mr. Mr. Green. I think he's, I think he's Mr. Men in Black right now. I think he's got nefarious motivations. Um, because I think that uh, in magical realism, it's supposed to, like, show, like, we already talked about how magical things are like not that special, but it's supposed to show that ordinary things are extraordinary. Like generally, that's a part of it, and we see that in the beginning with those say Arcadio, or Arcadia, um, when he like gets amazed by like magnets and telescopes and, and the like. But the fact that it kind of abandons that plot relatively quickly, kind of just makes it seem like the writing decision of like making everything monotonous maybe might not have been as intentional as some people might want to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something along those lines, you know? It's just, it's up to your interpretation, like, um, I could see how it could be effective, effective in, like, some areas, but then in others it just tends to flop. It's, sometimes I do feel like the delivery is a little bit off on certain things. Yeah, do you guys think that the author intended us to, um, interpret this in, in certain ways, or do you think he kind of had one plan for it and that we're just coming up with things the author might have wanted us to think about it a certain way keep in mind this was published in 1967 uh in originally in in spanish so it's not really meant for us so i think that it might have been more of a political commentary to the spanish people 
mm-hmm. um, rather than to like random white people in California. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's definitely different audiences. Yeah, and it's a bit hard to know because I feel like this comes from like the context of like again when he grew up and when he was writing this, and we don't know really much about that. We weren't there. Yeah, that is true. I I mean, I think it does say something that this is, like, considered the pinnacle of Latin American literature. Like, this is considered the book. A lot of critics think that this is the best book that's ever come out from, like, a Hispanic author. And I think that's treasonous. But at the same time, it's interesting how uh, um, this book can be interpreted in very, like, sort of, like, starstruck ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. I do get the notion that... Maybe the book itself isn't, you know, amazing, but what it stands for is, like, you know, yeah. where the where the good stuff comes from, you know, because if you dive deep into, like, the themes and... Because when I read the book, I just, I hear a lot of, not nonsense, but, like, it does drag for me and I don't understand a lot of the things. But when you actually, like, sit down and dissect everything that's going on, like, why things are structured the way they are, you know, like, the family and what happens to them and, like, the meaning of names and stuff, it does, like, then the actual meaning of the book is revealed. Like, you know, something yeah. like that. Fame me up. So, we do want to cover the themes in this um, novel before we continue. So, we have, we have three. A lot of them pertain, or, well, the topics, um, they pertain to solitude, repetition, slash patterns, and memory. So, our themes that we picked up um, from this novel are that history repeats itself, and, you know, memory distorts, um, history. History. Memory distorts history, and, you know... Um, remembering things isn't always for the best. Yeah, and then there's also a topic, uh, which is solitude, but the themes that, uh, that topic portrays are kind of, you know, they kind of are counterintuitive. Like, in some cases, solitude can be a blessing, and in some cases, it can be a kind of a curse. Yeah. Um. Alright. Yeah, that should be it. And then that can be a separate recording we can all right. Before we before we dissect the the themes in the book a bit a bit more, I'd like you to hear a word from our sponsor, telescopes. Now, I know when I'm looking into the sky, I usually wonder why can't I see closer. I want to see the sun. I want to see it so close. I want my eyes to burn, to burn. I tell you, but it just it just never happens, you know. And, you know, here, audio listeners, love you to death, I've got a telescope next to me, uh, and I'm looking into the sky, it's currently nighttime, but I see some little stars. That's pretty cool. Wait, those aren't stars. That's the Earth, and it is round. We really have gone full circle. That's right. Telescopes, premium quality telescopes, promise you the ultimate experience in which you can discover that the Earth is an oblate, oblate spherical, spheroid, an oblate spheroid for yourself. Yeah, it is. It's an oblate spheroid. Look, look it up. Yeah. And that's why telescopes are truly a product which you should buy and purchase for yourself. Link in bio, link on this podcast. 
We all use it. I use mine every day. Audio listeners love you to death. This is a telescope. All right, now that the telescope ad is over, you offer by it, uh, we're going to delve into the themes of this book a bit more, starting with the one about repetition, which is history frequently repeats itself. Yeah. So, we, dear viewers, or, well, listeners, uh, we have a family, as you can see, we have a family tree on the thing. Well, so, not as you can see, audio listeners, love you to death. Um, Coda audio is, listeners love Coda you to death. Coda's on the table. Uh, we've asked them not to do this multiple times. They're like a house cat. We keep begging them not to come on. And the security cameras, the guard is on his way. Uh, there are security cameras. We're in a library right now. Uh, audio listeners love you to death. We have this family tree. Uh, as you know, um, from watching our podcast from season one, uh, we usually have a whiteboard behind us. And, you know, we've, we've kind of laid out the family tree. So, we're going to go through each level and discuss the repetition in it. Yeah. So. All right. Then we got the starters. We got Ursula and Jose Arcadio Buendia. They started off, and they are first cousins. Um, that might not seem important until they have kids, one of which who is also Jose Arcadio, and he bangs his sister. So already you've got some repetition. Jose Arcadio men really like some incest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and throughout the entire, I, this is just general, throughout the entire, like, family tree, you get a bunch of Aurelianos, you get a lot of Jose Arcadios. You got 17 you got, Aurelianos. Yeah, you got, se- in one generation. And then you got Oh, yes, some... Coda. Raising your hand. <laughs> yes, question for the class. Um, I just want to make sure we, like, touch on the fact that, like, we mentioned earlier um, in our previous discussion that um, the repetition of names is yes. having to do with the... Having to do with the fact that um, each person is repeating the same mistake as the person who came before them with that same name. Yeah. So here we have a side note that um, Remedios are believed to be cursed by, well, Amaranta Ursula. She's the one who says that Remedios are the ones that are cursed. But we see this more with Jose Arcadio, who those, that name is tied with, like, losing minds in search of something, so they tend to be more curious or, like, very driven. Arellianos, they are almost always withdrawn, you know, they, they keep to themselves, and yeah, we got a lot of them. Yeah, and then um, with, like, for instance, Ambaranta, she sort of starts off as, like, uh, the symbol of virginity, as we saw, but as we see her name get more and more corrupted throughout the line, Ambaranta Ursula kind of becomes sort of a bit more demented, which is interesting as her name changes. Yeah, I, di- I didn't really notice that I was reading, but it's interesting that you point that out. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, audio listeners love you to death. Amaranta Ursula has a little <laughs> devil horns and a little mustache on her, uh, and and a little top hat, and she's she's a little speech bubble, which is saying I'm devious, uh, <laughs> which you know, lovely, love her to death. Uh, audio listeners love you to death. Um, we love all of you to death. All right, and let's discuss the seventeen uh, Aurelianos. This is pretty important because it's sort of it. In the theme of repetition, it's interesting to point out that there are 17 of the exact same person. 
Um, but they do not actually all keep the name Aureliano because they go to uh, his home because in their culture you can only be named by like the father's side of the family and they all lived with their mothers. So they went to the father's side of the family to all be given names and interestingly enough, the ones who are given names of their past ancestors end up living out the face of their past ancestors. So I believe one might have been given the name um, Aureliano and then... Did we write that on this thing? I don't think we did. Mm. Well, one of them was given a name from their past ancestor, and I believe they're the one that saw, like, uh, that were able to see premonitions from their past life, which implies that they were a reincarnation. Um, so repetition and reincarnation are also very tied together. Yeah. We do see a lot of rep um, reincarnation within the family tree. Uh, for example, we do have, um, is it Rebecca, the one that sees, oh, Remedios, is she the one that sees into the past? Well, we do know that Urs Ursula, she does, she does end up having, like, yes, and Ursula can see the future. Yes, she does recount, like, Aureliano being her son, when, in fact, he is, like, a great ancestor of hers. Alright, and you know what else the theme of repetition has to do with another theme? So, the theme of repetition being the theme of history repeating itself. Uh, which we also see in, at the beginning, before Jose and Ursula even get wed, uh, the reason why they have to run away and found the book, or found Macondo, which is <laughs> the location in the book, um, is because they know someone who did incest, or like had an ancestral relationship, and their child was born with a pig's tail. And then at the very end, the very last child of the entire family line is between, um... It's between Amaranta Ursula and Ariano, Aureliano Babiliona? I don't know where that last name came from. But that child had a pig's tail and was inevitably taken away and eaten by ants. So it's kind of interesting that, uh... It all went full circle with the pig's tail thing, which does imply, uh, like what Ursula said many times throughout the novel, mm -hmm. her different renditions, she would always say that history really does repeat itself. So what are some other ways that history repeats itself that we see throughout the book? Um, well. The entire book, baby. Because <laughs> guess what? This is going to blow your mind. The entire book is a prophecy. Whoa. For real? Why? Yep. The entire prophecy is from Melchiades, who writes out the entire prophecy and then says that, like, that's how it all ends, when it's blown away by the wind. So in the end, the entire, like, location where Makondo is, like, the very secluded area, becomes barren again, which is, like, in the original prophecy. So does that imply that eventually another family will call, come along? With and will found it. Yeah, and we'll repeat the same mistakes. But that's what happens. Uh, there's also another part in the novel um, where uh, Marquez, uh states that uh, uh, races that live in solitude will never get a second chance to live again. Mm -hmm. So essentially what he is implying is that the Colombian race will never be the same in, in this case. Mm -hmm. You know, and it... What is it called? I forgot the name of it. Makondo is 
like said to be a place of miracles or like a magical place, but you know, looking back at this timeline, it almost makes you wonder if Makondo is like actually a curse because everyone oh. in here, they all have misfortunes, you know? Yeah. We're going to close off the first episode of the second season. This has been the We All Hate Each Other Offscreen podcast. Coda is currently occupied right now. So it's just me, your host, the executioner, signing us off. Uh, we got to go. We got to go because it's Dream's face reveal. Dream has done a face reveal and we're going to go view it.